Hello and welcome to the episode 6 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today are Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Hello, Carl. Hello, Simon. Following on from last week's Helios 44 podcast, uh, we're going to continue the Soviet theme by discussing three Jupiter lenses. But before we do that, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, we, we had a lot of comments even before we did the episode, people looking forward to the all Helios 44 episode, so that was great to see, and we had, it looks like we had a lot of listeners as well, um, and we even had a comment in the Photography with Classes, Classic Lenses Facebook group that we could change the name to Photography with Helios 44 Lenses group from uh, Hera Periton, which was which is kind of fun. Carl, you have one as well that I think you saw, yeah? Yeah, and I don't remember who posted it, but someone said, uh, how about a week worth no post of photos with oh. Helios lenses? <laughs> and I think That's I responded. Happen. Well, no, I, re- I think I responded that no, I can't do that because I have two coming from Russia and I have to test them out to determine whether I'm going to keep them or sell them. But the problem is they're coming from Russia. And so um, they're not even here in the United States yet. <laughs> Lord knows when I'll get them. And so I, I probably won't shoot any pictures with Helios lenses this, this, this week. I think it's safe to say that the, <laughs> the Soviet lenses are always going to be a big topic here. So settle in for the ride, folks. <laughs> um, we have one more really great comment, actually, in the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group uh, for the uh, podcast from admin James Giordano, where he uh, gave a really nice example of a uh, portrait he shot with his, of his granddaughter with the 44 and talked a lot about how to achieve that swirly bokeh effect. James is really... Um, a pro at that, literally a pro at that. And uh, it's, so if you want to know a little bit more about that, please check out the uh, the Facebook group um, and check in and you can see that there. Uh, you can also find some feedback on uh, the podcast in the mflenses.com group. Uh, so check us out there as well. Okay, now back to this week and we're going to be talking about Jupiter lenses. And now all of this week's lenses share a common history with the Helios 4, which we went into a fair bit of detail uh, last week, and that they were all, all the Jupiters are Carl Zeiss lenses, which were copied and uh, produced in various Soviet Union factories. The first of this week's lenses is the Jupiter 8 and the Jupiter 8M. The Jupiter 8 is the standard lens for rangefinder cameras, mainly the Leica-based Zorkis, Feds, and the Zeiss, contact, the Zeiss contacts-based Kievs. The Jupiter 8 is based off the 1930s Carl Zeiss Sonar uh, 50mm f2 that was produced for the Contax 1 body. The two main versions of the Jupiter 8 are found with either LTM39 mount or Contax KF bayonet mount. Perhaps Carl, you can tell us a bit more. Sure. Um, I think the Jupiter 8 might have been one of the first five or six classic lenses that I bought. And I don't remember who I saw shooting one, but I liked the look of the pictures and they weren't very expensive back at that time. I think the price is probably double now, and um, I still use it quite a bit. It's a beautiful lens. Mine's a 1968 lens. Um, it's made in the um, KMZ plant, which is just outside of Moscow. We were talking a little earlier about, about these Jupiter lenses. Um, this one doesn't have the name in Kerlick. It just says Jupiter, so it was probably an mm-hmm. export lens. Um, it, when I, 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 like, I like the boat. The, the Boca. Um, you can get a little bit tired of it after a while, but it's kind of fun because um, unlike the Jupiter 3 that we'll talk about in a little bit, it has a distinct uh, brighter edge around the bokeh balls, and so um, they're not quite bubbles like you get with some of the other um, lenses like a trioplan, but it's, it's kind of getting in that direction. Um, they look pretty circular, although it's interesting that now that I have a Jupiter, Jupiter 3, um, I realized that when you look into the lens, it isn't a perfect circle. There aren't enough blades to make it a perfect circle. There's only nine. Uh, but I shot it last week, and I posted some pictures on the photography with classic lenses Facebook page, and 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 you could look at a link in my Flickr page. It's a real diverse lens. It fits really nice on my Fuji camera. It's small. Um, it's, it's a cool-looking lens. Um, I've used it for. Uh, I've taken it in a city and I've shot in pictures of buildings with it. I've shot in street shots with it. I've done bokeh shots with it. Um, I didn't originally think it had too short a minimum focus distance. And so it was straight on an LTM 39 um, adapter. But I do use almost all of my rangefinder lenses on a focusing helicoid now so I can get some really close up shots with the lens too. I can't say there's anything wrong with it. I, I probably. Um, 
probably use it more than my, my Jupiter theory, even though the, the three is a, I think a, a superior lens. Um, I have a couple of, uh, of Jupiter 8M lenses that came on Kiev cameras, and um, I'm not real fond of those. They don't have nice curved blades like the Jupiter 8. They have sharp, they have um, you know, this bizarre, um, jagged tooth looking um, shape when you close the, the lens down. And um, the, the ones that I have aren't, aren't as smooth. And maybe that's just because they weren't handled as well or, or they've gotten their grease dried up a little bit. Um, those are the lenses that they try to sell you for free when you buy that special focusing helicoid okay. that we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and if, so if you want to get one of those, you know, if you use a Contax Kiev you know, inner bayonet mount lens, um, that's the case where we said you can tell the seller, give me a Helios 103 instead of an 8M. Because the Helios 103 is a really good lens, and I don't, I don't think the eight, at least in the ones I've had, aren't aren't that wonderful. And then once you have them, you're stuck with them because nobody's going to want to buy them. So Jupiter 8, love it, good starter lens. I think it's a good entry point into the Jupiter series for someone who's never tried any of them out. And um, that's it for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can follow on that. I I ha also Jupiter 8 was one of the first um, Soviet lenses that I ever got. It was attached to a, a Zorki 4K, I believe. Um, and actually, I just traded that lens to uh, J.J. Betcher in Williamsport, Pennsylvania for a Jupiter 12 because I really just wasn't using it very much. Um, it's a great lens. I just, you know, I guess I have other 50s I sort of prefer, but it does have a class that classic 50 millimeter F2 sonar look to it, which is basically what exactly what this lens is. Um, so it has a really nice, I think it has a really nice pop at, you know, around f f4 5.6 it's really nice um and it is fairly common to find like i said on the on the zorki 4k mine was uh the, the sort of typical export version that had made in ussr stamped on it in uh green lettering you can see that over at sovietcams.com i believe they call that version the pt uh 3110 um so you know the re real common lens i i feel like just cheap as chips to pick up if anybody wants to get one so um but i i you know i have others i guess i i should probably shoot more at this point but definitely a very very solid great lens i've just got i've only actually kept one uh jupiter 8 uh, and that's uh and that's the model that uh carl doesn't well the one that carl likes the least and that's the the atm and it's I was just thinking about what you were saying then about the the, the shape of the aperture blades, Cole, because uh, the the LTM thirty nine, uh, the like a screw version, you, you've you've got it's a, you've got I don't know if it's got more blades, but there's certainly you you do it is more rounded. Um, it's also stepless as well, whereas you you do get the steps with the ATM. But the the I read something the other day about the the shape of the certain Zeiss lenses. Including the one, you know, modern ones that go on to uh, on like amount, and they 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 have that. Um, they don't they don't initially close down as a as a perfect perfect circle. They have mm -hmm. like a, a sort of jagged edge on them, and and then they become more rounded lower down. And and what I actually read about that is to say that this is something that that helps the lens with focus shift, and it's a it's a it's a sonar characteristic, uh, and that's that shape helps now why they they did it with the the kia version the atm and and didn't do it with the ltm 39 i don't know but um but johnny i think you you probably know a little bit more about focus shift does that does that ring true with you uh, yeah yeah very much so i mean that, that's definitely um a characteristic of the sonar you see it you really see it in the um the jupiter 3 or the you know the the, the sonar the 50 um 1.5 um, and uh, interestingly, the you know the lenses that the, these are based on, um, the the Zeiss lenses do have that same aperture sort of step to them, uh, at least for the uh, contacts version of those lenses. I have um, both the the Sonar uh, fifty one point five and the you know the fifty f two. I have from Carl Zeiss you know West post post war the uh the version that was made for the the kiev and i have both of those and they both have that same aperture design and i do believe that it it is related to focus shift um so that's yeah interesting note but um i don't i don't know if that has more to do with the fact that the 
um, the contacts lenses were just made to a higher standard. And also keep in mind that there really aren't uh, finding a uh, a Zeiss uh, sonar fifty one point five in LTM is a really a kind of a rare animal. Um, the, there were some of those made pre war. I think they released some of them post war, uh, probably from existing parts but i it really wasn't something that was produced post-war now i if i'm wrong about that i'm sure somebody will jump in and, and tell me but that's my understanding is you really don't see the uh the sonars in screw mount much as post-war lenses you see them as uh contacts lenses and they're built to a very high standard and i and i i would think that that's probably an indication of um something they did to try to mitigate you know focus shift in terms of the lens design so the the again the 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 Zeiss there's a Facebook group the uh, we'll put it in the link but the um it's the basically the Zeiss Histo Historica group um they will know exactly what the deal is there but I have a feeling that that is the deal and maybe I'll even ask that question in the group and see if anybody can can clarify for us this week. Yeah, the, for for me the the Jupiter Eater lens that um I really haven't used enough um probably because I've got a choice of so many other you know, great lenses of that of that nature, and I, I'd probably pick up a Helios. As Carl would say, he'd probably pick up a Helios one hundred three before uh, picking up the Jupiter. But the times where I have used it, I've really enjoyed it, and it's um, it's I've had some quite interesting uh, flare shots out of it as well. You know, pointing it towards the the light source or the light source just outside of the frame. Um, you can there's a there's a kind of um, veiling flare. Uh, that you can get from it that doesn't actually take too much contrast away it, it, it's something that adds to the shot so um, for me that's that's something that I'd like to I probably need to explore that a little, a little bit further because I really enjoy doing that I think it's also worth um, recapping on the well, not so much recapping but going back to the original 50mm so, sonar F, F2 by, by Carl's Ice because uh, I've I've had one of these um, only, mm -hmm. only the one and it was and it wasn't one that was treated either and i've got to say i was i was quite excited by the by being able to use this because it's a it's a much heavier lens than the than the than the jupiters but ultimately i it it, it was severely lacking in contrast compared to uh the, the the jupiter is that the older uncoated version you mean Simon? Yeah. like the pre-war yeah 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 those are those are nice i mean they're they're, they're nice historically and they're nice. I think they're nice design wise. And I do think the uncoated sonars have a really special look to them. Um, a different look for, to be, to be certain, you know, but I, I do really like that look. I've, I've never, um, I, I, I was looking for one of those for a while. I know Iman, I think has one. Um, and I really wanted to pick one up for a while and, you know, maybe I will at some point. Cause I do think that uncoated sonar look is super, super unique. One last thing about the the Jupiter eights, especially the the eight M, is that I've seen them in uh, showing different focal lengths. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've had a fifty three millimeter as well as a fifty as well as a fifty millimeter. Now I know that um, lenses can be uh, say one thing and be be something else, but it's it's quite interesting that they made the effort to actually pick out one being a fifty and another another identical lens being a fifty three. I've I've seen the same thing. <laughs> Actually, I, I believe I have examples of the same thing. I think I have at least one of each, actually. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes they're very specific. And again, I'm I'm sure somebody can tell us exactly why that is. It may have something to do with, uh, per, you know, Soviet production, you know, something or other <laughs> in terms of paperwork or uh, fulfilling lots or something like that. But I, I've definitely seen that as well. I think we talked about this before with mirror lenses that they give what's probably the real focal length mm -hmm. is 37 and that um, the lens that they copy isn't really a 35 it's a 37 yeah yeah well it's it's the, it, it's sorry there I, I mean it's sort of just true generally any lens marked at a particular focal length the actual focal length is it could be a couple of millimeters either way um, I, I know I have I have another lens um, that's sort of interesting that way. Uh, it's a a Wollensack Fastax, which was made for a high speed movie camera that was used by the U.S. military, and they mar they are marked in like precise focal lengths, like thirty five point three or something. 
for that reason because I think they were used for very uh, close, um, you know, uh, reproduction work, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's off. Lenses are often rounded to the nearest, you know, uh, normal sounding focal length. <laughs> I think with with Carl mentioning the the mirror and the flatagon there, I think that's probably going to be a topic for a future podcast. But so there's there's plenty yeah. for us to uh, get to grips with there. But I think if, uh, I'm on the eBay page right now, and I was just looking to see what the prices are of Jupiter 8s, and they're kind of all over the place. So if you're buying one for the first time, be really careful and read the fine print because um, what looks like a good deal, I'm finding on here, almost every one of them, there's something about the front element having cleaning marks or there being oil on the blades or something. And so you have to, I, I haven't found any that are, um, as Johnny said, dirt cheap. They didn't have some of those oddities associated with them, yeah. but maybe you know, maybe that's okay. But um, usually, when I buy these lenses, I want to make sure that everything's exactly right with them, and, and then you get up to a bit higher price. I think we can. It's a it's a it's a thing though. Uh, we can we can go a little bit overboard with the with with the lens in terms of oh, that one's got cleaning marks or there's something not, yeah. not quite right <laughs> about it because certainly the, the the front element is is the least important. Um, what goes on in the rear element is probably more yeah. important. Um, I've seen lenses that virtually seem to be destroyed at the front and they still produce images that are, are, are per, more than perfectly acceptable. Uh, sometimes they're indistinguishable from a perfect one. So uh, unless you go to the yeah. incredible pixel peeping length. Um, but yeah, we it's, it's that thing. Yeah, We we tell people that um, don't worry about it. And then when we actually go and buy, a, buy our own stuff, we, we, want, we want the best we can get. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. You know, the, the a lot of the Soviet lenses, though, I mean, they they were stock from the factory with front element marks. That is not unusual. Yeah. It just isn't. I mean, you even even the ones you'll find with the certificates, I believe I've seen the certificates, you know, tr translated where they even mention that there are, you know, there may be two or three not even marks. Yeah, yeah exa exactly. I mean, that's just sort of it's kind of uh, to be expected. I, I mean, I would be worried if I got a Soviet lens with no marks on the front. <laughs> no, I was just I, I wasn't talking about that in particular. I, I was just looking at one here um, and, it, and it says um, excellent. And then I'm writing down through and it says optics, glass clean, no scratches, a bit of mold and mildew and some dust. <laughs> So, so, then it says meets the state standards of the USSR. Exactly. So, yeah. Then it says he he allows for presence of dust, debris, and micro scratch. So um, I don't know. <laughs> Just, I'm careful, and I usually send emails to the buyer and ask him lots of him or her a lot of questions about the lens before I buy it. If, if, not the eight. That's not that much. But when I bought the Jupiter three, which we'll talk about next, I paid a good amount of money for the lens, and I shopped around a lot and ask a lot of questions. Yeah, and I, I think uh, James in our group, James Giordano, admin, um, and I kind of share his view here. He he just doesn't even bother buying them from uh, former Soviet Union sellers. He I think he gets them from Fedka.com, which is a U.S. seller who imports them, and they you know you pay a little bit more, but they're in really good condition. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, so if you kind of don't want to mess around with the whole thing, just – pony up a little bit more and get a really clean one from Fedka. But you deprive yourself of the fun of watching the yeah, tracking information every day and getting to see <laughs> 13 things in the tracking before you get your lens. <laughs> okay, now I think it's we've already mentioned it a couple of times. It's time to move on now to the Jupiter 8 glamorous sister, the Jupiter 3. Um, the Jupiter 3 has got a pretty much identical history to the, the Jupiter 8. Um, it's based on a, a 19... Uh, 1930s Carl Zeiss lens. Um, the most obvious difference is the is the jump and aperture size from f2 to f1.5. Um, the extra speed of the Jupiter 3 uh, results in a lens that, in my view, has got more character than the the Jupiter 8. And it's it's a lens that uh, both um, Johnny and I encouraged Carl to buy for quite some time, but he was uh, quite reluctant. And I know that Johnny felt that. Um, the bokeh might be a little bit too sophisticated for Carl. Um, I, thought, uh, I thought you said that, Carl. I thought you said that, Simon. <laughs> was, that, was, was, that, was, that, was that true, Carl? Yeah, that was true that you said it. Yes, of course. Okay, do you want me to talk about it? All right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so let's, change, let, let's, let's yeah, continue, no. please. 
No, I did. I didn't. Buy, I didn't buy it for a while. And, and Simon did say we we think that it may be a little too sophisticated for you. And then I then I bought it after hearing that. That was what got me to buy the lens. And um, it's fantastic. I, I really like this lens, and it does have a interesting, sophisticated bokeh. And um, I've taken. I was looking at my Flickr page yesterday, and noticed that some of my favorite shots that they're taken with any classic lens are done with the Jupiter three. And um, and yet I don't use it that often but it has many more blades than the jupiter 9 so it's got a really nice circular aperture mine's a um, let's see a 1982 lens and this one is made at the valdai factory which is outside of moscow and um and the writing's all in acrylic so this isn't a lens that was exported very much so these if you look on facebook there's um there's the silver ones, and sometimes they call them white, and then there's the black ones. I mine's black, and uh, at the time that I bought this, these things were running up in the $350 range. You notice now you can get them for considerably less than that if you're careful. Although some of the really exceptionally clean ones are still in the $300 range, and um, um, I got some help from um, one of the people on our Facebook group who've, who's had some of these lenses and, and picking it out. And he found one for me, actually, that um, is an ap a perfect lens optically and mechanically. And, and I got it cheap because somehow it got a scratch all the way around the focus ring into the black paint. And so I bought it for about $100 less than, than what it would have been otherwise. And I took a Sharpie marker. And every once in a while, I retouch it so that you can't see that scratch. And um, it's a fun little lens. And I always take it with me when I go up to uh, trips in Washington every year. And I've shot, uh, again, uh, cityscapes, street shots, uh, the flowering cherry tree blossoms, and a variety of things. Just a neat little lens. And I, for some reason, I don't know why, I'm sitting here holding the lens in my hand, and it's in an adapter for a Sony Alpha 7 camera, which I don't even have. But um, so that's, my, that's my story about the Jupiter 3. Uh, I can uh, I can jump in and tell you about mine if you want. Um, uh, I I have one that when I was looking for a Jupiter three, I was you know looking around quite a bit. And again, I I will admit I've been reluctant at times to buy from uh, Russian sellers because I feel like there's you know it's just such a it's such a gamble, and that lens is a little pricier. So I actually found one here in Chicago. I on Craigslist of all places, I saw one listed and. Um, I went to see this guy down in Hyde Park, and he had—he was a, an old uh, Leica guy, and he had uh, a Jupiter three um, that I picked up from him. And it was—it's an early one. I think mine is 1956, and he had had it, you know, for decades. And it—it um, it, it had seen better days. I mean, in terms of condition, it was as Simon can maybe explain sand socking, but this lens was thoroughly sand socked on the front element. Um, and, but I really, I, I, I got it because I really like the provenance of the lens and I actually tried it there on the spot and it looked great. Um, it de definitely, uh, is really soft, wide open. Um, and it flares like crazy from all the front element scratches, but actually kind of in a good way. Uh, I use it a lot for night shooting on the street cause it gives these crazy awesome flares from, uh, street lights. Um. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the copy I got is, is nowhere near perfect. It definitely focus shifts a little bit. Um, I, I, had it, I had it serviced, so that helped a little bit. Um, but I think it's a good example of why that lens until maybe recently when folks like us started adapting them to digital um, had a bit of a mixed reputation because it's a hard lens to use on a film camera. Um, and the, the, the results can be unpredictable. It's a lower contrast lens for sure. So it got a reputation for being soft, having focus shift, et cetera. Uh, all of which is, um, I don't want to say it doesn't exist on digital, but it, it, it's different when you can view it in an EVF. It doesn't matter if it focus shifts because you can see it and adjust for it right there in the moment. But yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky lens to, it can be a tricky lens to, to find clean. I'm actually a little jealous of Carl's version. I'd, I'd like to get a clean one like that at some point too. The the Jupiter 3 was one of my first lenses um, when I got serious about um, uh, buying more lenses and ex exploring uh, Soviet lenses in particular because in the, in the early days of exploring um, 
manual lenses for to be put on digital. I was I was very much drawn to the Soviet lenses because you know you hear so much about the you know just how different they are, um, including from lens to lens with the same name. Um, you know we talked about sample variation variation before, um, but the the Jupiter three was a lens that I took to um, very very quickly. For me, the Jupiter three is almost like the epitome of of why you would actually want to get interested in classic lenses in old lenses because it there's there's nothing modern that gives you quite the same look uh well i say that you could you can buy a brand new um uh, zeiss uh, sonar uh, 50mm 1.5 on on the m mount but you know you you, you go back uh, to these these older lenses and they they ultimately just give you a look and a feel that you just cannot get with with normal modern lenses and the the Jupiter 3 I felt I felt is a very versatile lens because you know you've we, we use these lenses. we tend to use these lenses wide open uh, that's that's just the way that uh, the nature is uh, old lens users um, use them but it can it can provide different looks depending on the aperture and I'm not just talking about the depth of field I'm talking about the you know how flare um, is, is affected by aperture change um, certainly I've noticed uh, when I've gone back and looked at some photographs I've taken in the past where I've got some veiling flare um, I've discovered if I turn those and yeah I've been quite happy with those is, is colour but when I've turned them to black and white they all of a sudden they actually give a very very different look and more to the point um, some of the, the black and white photos look like old photographs in the way that you know lots of people try to recreate the look of old photographs but they they're usually just too pristine alternatively you know you do too much in post processing to introduce grain and things like that whereas if you actually use a a lens that that does flare that does give you veiling flare in particular um you can actually it's it's far more easy to, it's far easier i should say to actually create that uh, that old lens look but another thing about the the Jupiter 3 is when you actually stop it down to say f8 and you put it onto extension tubes or a, a focusing helicoid the character of the lens changes again and you can you can get you know a decent amount of 3d pop out of them um, but you you get decent sharpness but the the way it renders the, the the bokeh area again is just is just beautiful and i don't think any lens can actually do it in the same way as a, as a jupiter 8 can do it yeah uh, sonars are sonars are special that way. I mean, they really they really do seem to change quite a bit, even just based on aperture. So, I know this. Um, we'll talk about the Jupiter Nine in a minute, but this thing with veiling flare. I took my Jupiter Nine out this weekend and shot some photos at a local farmers market, and the best picture of all was the one that at first I thought it was screwed up, and, and it has that look to it, and. Um, it was a group of people walking with a woman in the front. And I don't know if you remember which one it is, but I kept it in color and it's just got this veiling flare over the picture and it looks like an old color photograph. Now, earlier I was, I was talking about, I used to have a pre-war sonar 50 uh, F2, but I also have, actually more to the point, in the past I've had a couple of uh, pre-war uh, sonar 1.5s and I've been singularly unimpressed by them. Um, certainly compared to uh, the Jupiter 3s that I've had but I also own uh, a more modern one it's probably made in the 1950s late late 50s of the an Opton Sonar uh, which is a, a West German version of of the lens you know we're still going back a, back a while but the construction of that lens compared to the Jupiter 3 it's you know it's it's much heavier um, mm -hmm. and it just it's it's got a beautiful feel to it it, ha it does have that that actually no it doesn't actually just just checking no it does I was, I was just wondering then if it if it had those those uh, those scissor shapes was at first I didn't actually think it, it had that scissor shape when it was uh, closing down to say f2 or so but it, it is actually there but it doesn't stay there for very long um, and it does it does close down to a circle quite quickly but this lens it just it simply outperforms my Jupiter 3s in every single way um, which makes me quite sad actually because I've, I've I've been in love with my Jupiter 3 as well while I've been having them but now I've, I've had this uh, this this Opton Sonar it, it just seems to have it just does almost everything better except um, it, you do get that little ragged edge um, at the uh, roundabout f2 yeah I I have exactly the same lens I have the 
Opton sonar in both the 1.5 and the F2 versions. And they're both that the, the conventional wisdom is that with those lenses, serial numbers over 1 million are better quality because it was, you know, later post-war, you know, you're talking very uh, recent post-war with the ones under 1 million. So anyway, I don't, I don't know if that, that's one of those things you hear that you, you wonder is actually really true or not, but mine are both over 1 million serial number. And I, I think I've said this before, those are the probably the two best constructed lenses I own hands down. I mean, they, they're, the finish is beautiful. There's not a mark on them despite the age and they're just solid brass, chrome and glass and, and they're incredible. And I've, I've had the same uh, experience with the performance on them. Um, yeah, you know, they're, they're just fat, fantastic. I mean, it, it certainly out, it outperforms and it's, it's much better built than the, the, uh, the Jupiter three I have that was built right pretty much the same uh, time, you know, year wise, they're almost the same year of manufacture. Um, but yeah, those are, man, those are fantastic lenses. I mean, um, difficult to mount up to some degree on, uh, on digital because you do need a special adapter for the contacts key of mount, but I would say totally worth it. Um, and you know, great on, uh, a, a film camera. If you have a film camera that takes them either a key or a contacts. Um, but I, I, those are probably the two lenses I, I would hands down, never, trade off just because they're just so beautiful <laughs> I, love, I really love them yeah just i'm just looking at mine and uh i've got one of the uh the the, the rubbish um pre one million ones um <laughs> it's uh um 577,000 so um it's only halfway to being good um so uh i i get the feeling there might be a little bit of sample variation in these uh because if 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 this lens is uh going to be significantly approved upon um after one million then i, I don't really see where uh, it's... yeah that... <laughs> right and that's why i say i wonder how i wonder how true that is or if that there, there's so much i i feel like that we hear like that that goes back to um the old school film shooters that made these judgments and read things because some photo magazine wrote in a review that this or that was true and you know of course these are the same photo magazines that were taking lots of money from specific advertisers and then reviewing their gear. So I take all of those old reviews with a big grain of salt. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen the pre 1 million and post 1 million Opton sonar lenses and they don't look any different. So I, I, I wonder about that one as well. Um, I do have my 51.5 in my hand now and I'm looking at the, just kind of marveling at the construction again. And, but also looking at the aperture, uh, blades that um, you were talking about, Simon, and they they do start to sawtooth at about 2.8, and they have a very kind of almost geometric uh, pattern until you get to about f8, and then it gets very round. So you know, I I don't know if it, again if that's related anything to do with focus shift, which is really more of an issue at the widest apertures. Uh, but I'm going to put a put that question out to the to the Zeiss folks, and I'm sure they'll tell us about that aperture design. Well, I got that piece of information when I was looking on the uh, the thirty was it thirty five MC blog. Um, ah. so, so I was I, I just a lens caught my eye, uh, and it's the Seven Artisans fifty millimeter f one point one on Leica M mount, and um, and I think that yeah, that's a that's a Sonar lens. And uh, it it did actually the article on that did did mention um, the 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 shape of uh, the the aperture blades and helping with focus shift. Mm. But uh, yeah, it could be one of those things that it probably matters. You know, it certainly matters less when you're adapting the lens than when you would do if you if you got it onto uh, you know a, a rangefinder camera. Um, and I suppose it you know if you've got a range you know one of the like an M M10. Uh, with uh, with live view, then I, I guess that that doesn't really matter at all. Um, it's always less of yeah. an issue anyway if you if you're going to use the live view on on that kind of camera. Yeah, a actually, that's interesting. Uh, interesting little side note. When I um, had the good fortune to borrow an M10 for a weekend from the the Leica rep in Chicago, who's Matt Buzdo, who's a great guy. Um, I one of the lenses I put on the M10 was. Uh, my 1.5 sonar with the Amadeo mounted after, um, and I did notice the 
the focus shift a bit with that combination and i put it in live view and i could actually see where the focus shift was uh but oh man i'll have to pull that sample image out because it is just uh, it's just from that it, it th that was the moment where i said wow if i had the money i would buy an m10 because <laughs> this is amazing um but yeah you you can see that that focus shift and i i could i can definitely see where you know the, these sonars were just difficult to use on film where you did not have the benefit of being able to to see that and it became purely an experience thing where you knew your gear so well and i and i think also we've just gotten spoiled i mean we we pick up these lenses that um now you know we might spend a couple hundred bucks on something which is not you know is not an insignificant insignificant amount of money but when these lenses were new they were like a month two month salary for people so people would get a lens or maybe two lenses and shoot them for years and just get to know every in and out of that lens and they would know you know looking at the rangefinder focus patch how much they had to lean forward or back to get the actual you know image in focus because it wasn't going to match what they saw in the rangefinder um so yeah diff different world doing it on digital for sure i mean all that just kind of goes away and it, it's really easy um and we we kind of can really see what these lenses can do optically, not limited by, you know, being attached to a camera where you just don't have the ability to see that in the moment. I think uh, you mentioned it earlier, that, and I think we owe, owe our listeners a, an explanation about sand socking. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it's, this, this, it's a technical term. It is. Tech, highly technical term. It is. So uh, it, it just came about when we were talking about um uh, Jupiter threes and uh, the fact that you know so many of them have got uh, scratched front elements, whether they be cleaning marks or or whatever. And as we said earlier, it, you know, in the case of Jupiter threes, you just got, you just got to live with it and get over yourself. You know, it's uh, it's not <laughs> it's not an issue. Um, but some some of these can look appalling, um, if, especially if you shine a bright light through them. And it's uh, the the sand socking expression that came about by saying that uh, it's it's almost as if somebody's been on the beach and decided to clean the the front element with a, a, a sock that they've they've found on the beach that's covered in sand um, and uh, and just wiped around with the with the grit and so on so uh, that's that's the definition of sand socking there you go copyright <laughs> Simon Forster yeah <laughs> hey uh, by the way I just found my uh, my sonar 50 f2 opton sonar it's a crap all in one too Simon serial number 707929 so there you go I feel sorry for you. <laughs> okay, now we'll move on to the last of our Jupiters uh, for today. Uh, we will return to Jupiters in, in the future. And this one we're going to talk about now is the Jupiter 9, which is an 85mm f2 lens, primarily designed for portrait work. And again, it's got the same history as the, as the Jupiter 3 and the Jupiter 8, as in it's a pre-war uh, Zeiss lens that uh, the, the Soviets took with them and started to build them in various factories across the former Soviet Union. Now, one thing about it, it is a portrait lens. Now, the definition of a portrait lens is generally speaking on the full frame, uh, around about 85 millimeter and quite fast. That's that's usually what you would associate with a, with a, with a portrait lens. Now, one thing about older portrait lenses is they are partially designed not to be too sharp because you know, these days you can take a photograph uh, with a very very sharp 85 millimeter lens and you can do plenty of work in in photoshop and lightroom to you know get rid of blemishes and and and, and so on and you know just generally soften the picture but back in the old days you know unless you're an, an ace in the dark room you you would take your photograph and you you got back what you got back and you know, if you wanted to actually make a more flattering image of a, a woman of a certain age, then it was always useful to, to have a softer lens. And you know, there were plenty of people who would, would make lenses deliberately softer by you know, smearing uh, Vaseline onto a onto a, like a UV filter screwed onto it, and put and just to again just to soften the actual uh, look. Um, so, uh, Carl, you're new to the new. The, new to the Jupiter 9 experience um, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more so I'm not I have a sordid history with this lens I remember I had one before um, back when I was using a um, Rokinon 85 1.4 and shooting it quite a bit on my Olympus and that's a super sharp lens 
and had become accustomed to the look of those photos, I did buy a Jupiter 9, and um, and I didn't like it at all <laughs> because I thought it was too soft. And the one that I got was very stiff to focus, and so I think within two weeks I sold it on eBay and got rid of it. And um, recently, I don't know why, um, I decided to buy another one, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, the one that I have is a 1958 lens, so it's quite old, and it's um, made at the Arsenal factory in Kiev, and it has a red P. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but it's marked with a red P. And mine's a um, Contex Kiev outer bayonet mount, which turned it out turned out to be convenient for me because my Jupiter 11 and 12 both have that same mount, and I can use it on the adapter that my Helios 103 came on. By the way, um, if you get a Helios 103 with one of those custom adapters, it has little tabs on the outside, and you can take the lens out, and you can use it as an outer bayonet mount for, for these kind of lenses. Um, this one's really stiff to focus, too, and it's, I'm glad that it has this adapter and not an LTM 39, because I think that when I focus it closer, um, no, when I focus towards infinity, I would probably unscrew it from the camera. It's getting it's getting that stiff. Um, I, I got the lens about two months ago, and the first day I used it, uh, my son and I went for a hike, and um, I probably shot about 80 photos with the lens uh, of him hiking along a trail and, and different things. And when I got home, I was amazed. Every every picture I shot was a keeper. They, they were all in focus, despite the thing being stiff. And that was closed down to just f 2.8. So um, that, that, was, that was really marvelous. So I've been I've been thinking lately about um, it's, it's I go back and forth on this. The optics are so perfect, I hate to screw around with it. But on, the lens has a really interesting design because you can take a hold of the body of the lens, and if you have a pair of rubber gloves, you can grab a hold of the of the um, aperture ring and and give it a hard turn in a clockwise direction, you can take the whole lens block and aperture right out of the lens and set them aside so that you're not going to do any damage to them at all if you have to clean the um, have to clean the helicoid. And so I'm thinking now of doing maybe a, a one trial thing of taking that lens block out of there. And what's that stuff that you have, Simon, that you spray inside your I'm not going to use that. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> putting putting this <laughs> putting some proper lighter fluid or something in and see if it loosens up the grease a little bit enough that, that I can use it for a while. Um, I, I watched a YouTube video and I convinced myself that it would be very easy to disassemble this lens. And I think that's true, that within 15 minutes I could have this thing all taken apart and maybe within less than half an hour I could have it all cleaned and new grease on. But when watching the video with this guy who's an expert who's probably done it 100 times, you get to the part where you start to put back the pieces uh, together and he says now there's a tricky part because there's four different uh, components to the thread and you have to get it on the right one or it won't line up properly and he does it about six times before he gets it right and I thought and you, and you marked that before you disassembled you your legs right? I thought, man, I'll, I'll be sitting out in my garage at the workbench and I'll get to about a hundred times and I'll get pissed <laughs> off and I'll just take it and throw it against the wall and smash the damn thing so I don't, so I don't, I don't know about doing a real cleaning on it or not but um, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's a really pretty lens, and it's got a nice nice purple look to the glass. And um, one of the things this one has that I don't have on my other Russian lenses, they often talk about there being bubbles in the glass, and this one really clearly has them in the front element. Uh, they're, not, they're not dust spots or anything. I was looking at them just a minute ago with a bright light, and there's about six um, bubbles inside of the glass in the front element, but, and they have no effect at all. We were talking about the front element doesn't really affect tremendously the the image from the lens so i like it it's, it's a it's a really nice addition to my collection and it's not going anywhere what what mount did you say it is carl well it's a it's a it's a it's an outer bayonet oh okay gotcha you have outer bayonet okay yeah gotcha the, re the reason i ask is I, so i don't actually own this lens i've looked at them quite a bit um uh i mean i've sold them i've sold them at, at central camera in chicago we've had them from time to time and the reason I've never got them is again, they tend to be a little bit pricey. I don't shoot a lot of the 85 millimeter focal length. I tend to just go for 105 and I have quite a few of those. Um, but I, I will say one of the lenses that really sticks out in my mind the most that I've seen over the past you know, few years at, at uh, the camera shop 
is we had a night, I believe it was a 1979 serial number, um, Jupiter eight, that was M42 mount. And I, you know, just out of curiosity, threw it on a camera to test it out. And I was, I could not believe uh, how sharp it was wide open. And I did a little research and again, could be urban legend, could not be because I've seen other examples of this comparison examples where that 1979 slash 1980 design version and the M42 mount is something really special. Um, and I, I still kind of really wish I had just bought that lens at the shop for myself, but you know, I'd be broke if I bought everything at the shop I wanted. But anyway, um, I, you know, I, if I ever get one, I would probably seek that version out again, hoping that it would have, um, characteristics that that great because i was just like whoa this is well this thing's amazing <laughs> well the the i could i could tell when i was shopping for this lens that the price with the um, outer bayonet was mm -hmm. considerably lower than the ltm 39 yeah yeah and um and so I, or, or or any other kind of mount so i went with it that way and the the iq of this lens is great and the, so this is a, another lens that i have that can produce some 3d pop at, at around f 2.8 which is really good. Oh, and I've had three of these. I I forgot about the the worst one. I <laughs> when I, when I went did when I was not paying um, attention, which still happens sometimes when I'm shopping on eBay. I, I saw one of these for eighty four dollars, you know, with with perfect optics, and I and I bought it. And then when it came, I realized that it had a mount that was a Kiev thirteen fifteen mount, and they don't make adapters for those. <laughs> and so I figured out a way though with a, a piece of bicycle inner tube to stretch that around the lens and around, um, I, I, think, I don't know what adapter I use, maybe an M42, and I was able to use the lens um, and, until it, it would fall off. And um, so um, I sent it off to, to Dirk Steed uh, to see if he could do anything with it, and it's probably sitting on a workbench somewhere because I don't <laughs> think it's a usable lens. But boy, if someone would ever make an adapter for those things, there's a bunch of those lenses sitting out there. You see them on eBay. They're all over the place. So the Kiev 1315, and, and there's no way to use the darn things. Hmm. You, you mentioned 1979 and uh, them being different in some way. Um, that's that's a new one on me. I've, I've not I've not heard that one, and I I, I guess that uh, we've we're just about to help the value of those lenses. Um, <laughs> I know. I, have said I, I want one now, um, and, I, and I imagine a few other people might think it won't. My, my Jupiter 9 isn't isn't quite sharp enough, and uh, so if I just get a, a 1979 one, it'll be fine. But, right. But that that's that's something about um, again. We I have to I have to keep on talking about sample variation with Soviet lenses. Yeah. Some some are better than others. Uh, uh, Jupiter 9 is definitely um, a lens where uh, sample variation kicks in. Funnily enough, I've I've not really had much in the way of in fact I've had no sample variation with the Jupiter 3. Um, they seem to be very, very consistent. Um, but the Jupiter 9, I've owned probably close to 10 um, have, come, have come along my path, you know, whether, you know, whether I bought them in purely to sell or for, for whatever reason. And, and I would always do a test, uh, my, my current favourite Jupiter, Jupiter 9, against the newcomer. And then, and I'll just keep the best one, which I've, I've done exactly the same thing with Jupiter 11s, and and I've I've been moving my way through. I've had uh, Kiev contact mounts, I've had LTM 39s and M42s, and the last the last one that I had was uh, M42, and I th I'm not sure if it was a 73 lens or a 67. I, ca I can't remember now, um, and that was that was definitely the 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 best one and sometimes you you sometimes think about oh a lens is is really good and i've got a really sharp one now you you cannot tell if you've truly got a sharp version of a lens until you actually compare it ex ex like for like and, and exactly the same sort of circumstances against something you 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 know the the actual sharpness um so which is why i always did head-to-head -head tests you know so uh, and there was i was thinking i had this 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 brilliant m42 version and then I managed to pick up a um, the the Nikon version of this lens, which I've got in front of me now because I don't have a Jupiter Nine anymore because I I have a Jupiter I have this 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 Nikkor instead and it's the uh, eight point five centimeter f two, um, and it's it's just a, a beautiful looking lens and I have it on this one's got LTM thirty nine mount, um, but when I did head to head. It, it, it beat it and when I do the head-to-head -head, I tend to just I just do it 
uh, wide open. I, I'm not really bothered about testing something when they when they stop down because you know all lenses get better when they stop down anyway. Um, so and I tend to use it wide open, so that's that's what counts for me. But one one thing about um, Jupiter nines in particular, though, um, in compared to the Jupiter 8 and the Jupiter 3 we've been talking about. The Jupiter 8 and the 3 are rangefinder only uh, lenses, whereas you on the longer focal lengths, um, such as with the, the Jupiter 11 and the Jupiter 9, it's available in more mounts. In particular, they are available in M42. So it, it's, a, it's a more adaptable lens, so people with SLRs can use M42 versions of these lenses. So, uh, and I think that actually one of the reasons why they're a little bit more expensive than, than some because they are more adaptable. Yeah, and and the one I was referring to is is the M forty two version. So it's the nineteen seventy nine M forty two version of the Jupiter nine. So you you also mentioned that uh, you thought they were a little bit on on yeah a bit more money to pay out for one, but when you compare compare these to other portrait lenses any any other 85 millimeter f2 i don't i don't think there's a a cheaper 85 millimeter f2 lens you can buy i mean the only yeah. lens i can think about which actually undercuts this is a, is a is a fast 85 is the is the uh, the Vivitar, uh, the old um, early mm -hmm. Vivitar, eighty-five one point eight, but even they've they've crept up in price now, and I think they're actually probably exceeding yeah. the price of uh, of um, Jupiter nines. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. I the other one that I have, um, I have a Takamar uh, eighty-five one point nine. There's also a one point eight, which is considered the better lens, but. I have the 1.9 that is in M, you know M42 obviously, which is um, a really nice lens. Which I I got that one, a pretty good deal on it. It has a lot of like very light internal dust that I don't think has any effect on the images, but I think it lowered the price a little bit. And I I got it for about the price of what a Jupiter 9 seems to be going for these days, which is in the 250 kind of range, right? Um, but yeah, there's, there's not a lot that, I mean, that's, I guess why I sort of avoid 80 and 85 millimeter lenses are just really pricey. I tend to get the 100 and the 105s, which can be just dirt cheap sometimes. So Johnny, there's a deal for you on eBay right now. Uh -oh. a, uh, no, I'm just looking at, there's a, there's a Jupiter nine lens, 1970. Um, the only issue with it is a front micro glass scratches which you thought you like right and it's 105 bucks but working working perfectly uh, but... and all you got to do is wait for eight weeks for it to come from russia <laughs> and it gives and it says it gives quite sharp but plastic and three-dimensional image so so that sounds pretty good but it's not 1979 though it's, it's not uh, 1979 no go yeah but it's listen it says but it says it says nineteen seventy lens year rare instance. Oh, by the <laughs> way, it says, so if you if you if you are um, someone who doesn't have Russian lenses and you go looking at these, you'll see the word rare version very often, and uh, and all sorts of other interesting descriptions um, and words used to describe the color of black paint that it has on it, just being rare, and. Um, the red pie, Simon. What what is the red pie? The red red pie indicates that it's a coated lens, but that that goes back to the days when a coated lens meant something. Okay. Um, so you you shouted yeah. about it, and um, but it was it was dropped. I mean, every, everybody dropped it except uh, people like uh, well Zeiss actually with their red tea, and they they continue with the uh, tea star. It was originally a T, and then they went to T Star, and they've kept it as a as a, as a trademark. But um, actually, you know, putting a red C or or a red pie and things like that. That's uh, it's funny actually. A lot of lenses actually sell for more money because they they've got that written on them, but they're not necessarily any better than the lens that came after it. That, well, they weren't. They're not any better than the lens that came after it with the, with that red P dropped. Um, but you might find some that are older, and they're not. A red pea or a red pie and therefore perhaps they are a little bit less desirable but it's only with the really old lenses but you can argue a really old soviet lens that hasn't got the the red pie on it could actually be something that's using zeiss parts so it, arguably it's actually a more desirable lens 
could be. I mean, I'm, I'm not making that as a, as, a, as a complete statement, but it's it could certainly be the case. Right. And we, yeah. we, we, you know, we've been joking about buying lenses from Russia, but you know what? Um, I probably have had more fun with lenses from Russia than, than any other lenses that I own. They've got a really cool character to them. And I, I like the number of the lenses that I have, including the Helios lenses that people seem to get tired of last week. And um, you do wait a little while to, to get them, but there are some excellent sellers on eBay. And if you get to know a person and you buy from them frequently, you, you can tell them that um, you, you're interested in a particular thing and can they find you one that's really good. And they'll, they'll learn to know what, what quality you're looking for. And that, that's what I do. Cole, that's um, that Jupiter 9 that you you picked out just a little little bit before uh, that's just down as a 1970 lens what's the actual what are the first two numbers of the serial on it all right so i have to look at the photo because the guy doesn't show <laughs> conveniently the front of, of the lens um i can't read it i think it might be 57 right because i I've, I've i've got this theory that 1970 lenses are zero lenses uh, because I'm pretty sure I've never seen ah. a 70 lens. Um, so I think it's just one of these mythical Communist Party lenses are actually just made in 1970 because they just don't have a 7 on them. <laughs> well, well, I thought for the, uh, until this morning, actually, that my Jupiter 9 was a 1981 lens. And then I just realized the white paint is gone off of the 5. I was looking at it with a bright light. So it's a 1958 lens, which makes a lot more sense looking at the lens and the way that it's made and the, and the fact that it's gotten really stiff. And um, well, one of the other interesting things, of course, is the factory logo. And, and people who have Russian lenses know about this. But if you don't, they're, they're made at a number of different factories in Russia and, and in uh, Moscow area and Kiev. And uh, each factory has a unique logo. And we're going to put up a link when we post this podcast to a, a page on the Camerapedia website. And it's a really nice one because they tell you what all the logos stand for. One of them that you see on a number of lenses is a Soviet Union best quality logo. And it's a, this five-sided shape with the thing that says CCCP in it. And then looks like a little picture of a guy's body, but with no head. And um, so you'll see that on some, some of their lenses. But then there's all these other strange um, characters and things. Um, and I said that the three lenses I have here are made in different factories. And, um, and just, just looking at the logos is an interesting, well, it's interesting to me because I'm kind of a lens nerd, but I don't know if it would be interesting to everybody. It's, it's one of the first things I look at with a with the Soviet lens. I have to know which factory it's come out of. But uh, I always, I find there's a, you know, there's a there's a great range of these the these symbols and shapes that they, that they have, but uh, it just reminds me of a Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin uh, logo with John <laughs> Bonham or, or whoever it is. I never knew which one was which. I, I should really look it up. I think that's why I like them too, because I was a big Zeppelin fan, and they look like those symbols that they had on Zeppelin albums. Yeah, it's it's that's pretty funny. That it, that's actually continued to this day. There's a producer, a record producer, musician in Chicago named Steve Albini, who people may have heard of because he uh, famously produced, you know, Nirvana's Nevermind and produced the Pixies albums and PJ Harvey. And uh, he um, Lomo, who 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 makes lens lenses, etc., also makes all sorts of other things. They uh, so they make microphones, and he he's you know, famous for using really, really specific analog microphones, kind of the way we are with lenses and stuff. And uh, he, so he uses these Lomo microphones and actually his, he, he has a band called Shellac and their logo, he got permission from the Lomo people to use the Lomo uh, logo as his band logo. So that it's interesting crossover back into music with uh, Soviet uh, lens manufacturer marks. Well, maybe Jimmy Page was a, was secretly a, a Soviet lens aficionado. I don't. I don't. It's interesting. All the all the good music that came out of the UK, but they didn't make any good cameras or lenses, did they? <laughs> oh, ouch! <laughs> I think that's probably a good time to end the show. Um, um, so, uh, so Johnny, um, how can? people follow you on various social media outlets uh well i'm i'm over in uh of course in the photography with classic lenses group i uh, you can meet me in person pretty much any day of the week over at uh central camera company in chicago and you can find me 
uh, primarily on, I use Instagram as my big gateway for all my online stuff. So you can find me on Instagram at, at Sisson Photography. And Cole? And you can find me on our Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page. And I have a Flickr account that I keep relatively current. And then my, it's just Carl with a K, last name Havens. And I can be found in a few places. I'm on Instagram as Simon P. Forster. Um, I'm trying to upload a, a photo a day on there. I'm on Flickr. You can just find me under Simon Forster. And I also have an eBay shop. And you can find that eBay shop if you search for It's Fozzy. That's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y. And you can find us all in the Facebook group Photography with Classic Lenses. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And it'll be great if you can join us next week. Goodbye. It's where I play my guitar now, isn't it? And do the blues intro. Um, that's the one. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs>